don't care. We can, maybe we can all ride together. We rent a big van. I didn't get to drive the big van last time. It was a bust. So uh, anyway, so that's what I got there. All right, moving right along. We had last week uh, off. Do you all like shovel yourselves to death or to near death? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's pretty wild. How many of you like shoveled somebody else? How many of you helped somebody else? Awesome. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Way to serve people. That's a way to get to know people, right? Get to know your neighbors and, and love and care for other people. That's awesome. Uh, so two weeks ago, we talked about sort of what we're doing for 2019. And we talked like out of Acts 2, and you guys, if you were, if you were here, you remember, we talked about sort of this concept that the early church was like this radical community, right? We talked about like this radical to devotion to each other, to signs and wonders and all that stuff. And so there's this, this picture in Acts that almost seems unreal uh, of what the church is. And what we said was that, that that's what we're after. In 2019, our goal in 2019, our God-given goal, because I wanted to shortchange God and he wouldn't let me, um, our God-given goal was that 100% of people who are in this gathering, who show up on Sunday morning for the worship gathering, would be connected in a, in a better way into a community like that. And we call it small groups for now. I'm going to change the name eventually. But for now, we call that small groups. But that we, would want to, uh, that we would want you to be involved in a community where you know each other really, really well. That we care for each other. And it's like, I can tell when you're down. And we want to help each other. We want to live uh, life together, right? We, we want to live in this radical community that the Bible, I want it, like I said, the Bible calls it church. All through Scripture, that's called church. This community of people who live life intimately with one another. And so what we're after is 100%. This, that's my goal for this year. I wanted to make it 75. God's smarter than me. 100 seems scary. Seems impossible. But so... I, I was like, all right, so how do we build on that? Yes. You love it? You like it? So, yeah, that's our... So I was like, well, let's build on that. So last week we missed. This week we're here. And we're starting this series that I'm calling Keeping It 100. It's actually the series. It's not just a funny slide that I made. Uh, but we're calling Keep it Keeping It 100. And here's why. So how many of you know when I say Keeping It 100 what that means? I'm not going to say who doesn't know what it means. What, what it is, Keeping It 100 is like... It's like how I would say, I'm just keeping it real. I'm just, I'm just living life with integrity, right? I'm just, doing, I'm just doing me. I'm doing this thing as real as I can do it. And so people would say, well, I'm keeping it 100, right? That's just, that's just how I am, man. I'm keeping it 100. I'm, being, I'm living life of integrity. And so what I'm thinking is, well, let's see. If we live life in group, in church, in this, this concept that we laid out, wouldn't that be the realest way to live our Christian life? Like, wouldn't that be the most real where we're actually known by people and we know people and we live life together and nobody has a need and we do this stuff together? Wouldn't that be what the most real is? And at the same time, and so I was like, oh, cool, we're keeping it real, right? At the same time, we're after 100%. There's no such thing in Scripture as a Christian who's not intimately connected to radical community doesn't exist. There's not like the, the extra book of the Bible that says, here's how you do this thing if you don't like people. <laughs> it's just not in there. 
Like, to be a follower of Jesus means you're engaged in radical community with these people called a church. It's a called out group of people. It's not a building. It's not like a service. Like this, this gathering, we were having conversations about what do you even call this? Do we call this church? Well, people call it church. Is it really? Like do we really intimately know each other? I know there are people in this room, I don't know your names. I'm sorry, but I'll bet that's true of most of you. That you look around and you go, I, I don't know your name, let alone what's going on in your life. What does it take for us to live life like that? So we're talking about keeping it 100. That's the goal for the next, I don't know, year. Uh, but, but we want to start out, what I want to start out today by talking about is, what, is it, what, like, what does it look like to live uh, a 100% life? Like, what does that look like? Like, when you think about your Christian life, like, how much of your life does Jesus own? Like, when you think about that, how much does he own? Does he get an hour and a half on Sunday? Like, does Jesus get, you know, his death on the cross paid for, you know, from 1030 to 12 every Sunday except when we have snow days? Is that your Christian life? Or, or you know, do, is the whole day Sunday? Does Jesus own your whole day Sunday? Or does Jesus own, like, Jesus gets, like, three days. And then, like, the, but I still retain, you know, the, the four-day voting edge. Or does Jesus get more than that? Like, when you think about your life, how much of it does Jesus get? Does he get six days and you get a cheat day? Like, how, what did Jesus pay for? I mean, think about it in terms of not just in days. Like, think about it like, does Jesus get your work life but not your home life? Does Jesus get your friend life but not your work life? Does Jesus get your time at the coffee shop but not the time at the bar? I mean, how much of your life does Jesus get? We're going to look at a, a passage of Scripture today, uh, and it's Luke 14. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, if you don't, there's a whole bunch of them. On those columns there, you can grab one. And we're going to look at Luke 14. I'll give you a second. Or you can put it up on your iPhone. Side note, those of you who are reading the Bible with me, we're like killing it, right? I'm loving this stuff. I read all your comments and applaud. That helps. Luke 14, here's where we're at. We're going to start in verse 25. It says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you and say, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. Okay, It's thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. You read this passage, and there's like a whole bunch of stuff, right? Like you go, you go through this passage, and there's like so much stuff that you have to like contend with. Like you have Jesus saying like, hate your family. I don't know about you, but like I listen to Jesus, and I'm like, Jesus, love, love. What, what is this hate your family thing? Like, I, I don't, are you seriously telling me to hate my family? I'll come back to that. 
Like, what's that all about? And then, like, there's this weird, like, if you're planning to build a tower, like, I'm not really planning on building any towers anytime soon. What does this have to do with my life? Or if you're planning to go to war, if I'm a king and I'm going to war with another king, I'm, none of those are true of me. So what does this mean? And then on top of that, you have Jesus saying this, like, really crazy thing. I don't know about you, but, like, I think of myself as a disciple of Jesus, right? And so often in this passage, he's like, you can't be my disciple if. I don't know about you. Have you ever sat with that? Like, that hurts. Because you start going, is that true of me? He says this crazy thing. He says, if you don't carry your cross, you can't be my disciple. There was a guy, we lived in Reynoldsburg before we moved here. There was a guy, maybe you remember this guy, uh, who he would walk around Reynoldsburg. It's like a, a suburb of Columbus, Ohio. He would walk around Reynoldsburg with a cross that's like bigger than that one, like wood, giant thing. And he'd have it over his shoulder, and he's dragging the back end. And they, Now, he was cheating. He had a wheel <laughs> on the back end. But he walked around everywhere with this thing. I mean, I was like, I don't, is, that, is that what Jesus is saying? Like, make a wooden cross and put a wheel on the end? Training wheels. Like, I guess it, eventually you get good enough to take the wheel off. <laughs> is that what Jesus is saying? Like, so, like, there's all this really weird stuff. And if we're honest, like, be honest with yourself. When you read stuff in Scripture, like, those of you who are reading the Bible with me, we're going to Exodus now, actually ending Exodus. And when you get to stuff that doesn't make sense, what do you do? You don't, you go, you, you put the Bible aside and you say, I need to go find a commentary and understand that, right? Don't lie. No, you read right past it because you're like, I don't know what to do with that. I'm going to find something that I understand, right? That's what most people do. We read it. We decide some real quick. Like, that's what it must mean. I don't really know. No import to my life. Move on. Let me find something about Jesus loving people, right? That's how we read the Bible. Most of us don't sit there with a commentary next to the thing going, what exactly is Jesus saying? What's the Greek behind that? Let me, let me what's the, what's sort of the, like, the range of that word? Like, we don't do that, right? We just blow right past it. But here's the thing. There's something so critical in this passage that we can't afford to miss. If you want to understand what it is to follow Jesus, we cannot afford to miss this. We can't blow past it. And so I want to point this out. You know, what Jesus says here is so important that in other gospels, other gospel writers write the same thing. So we just read that from Luke. Here's what Matthew says. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Side note, this is sort of context for what we just said. Matthew says he's not really saying hate. Your, so you don't have to go home and hate your family. He's not saying hate. He's saying put them in their proper place. There should be nothing between you and Jesus. Now, that's, it's not bad to love your family, but comparatively, gosh, people would go, you don't love your family near as much as you love Jesus. I mean, shouldn't that be true of all of us? Jerry and I have said over the course of 14 and a half years that we've been married, we, we've said, like, I love you a lot, but I love Jesus more. If we ever get that backwards, we've, we've pretty much messed up, haven't we? Side note, has nothing to do with where I'm going, but... I just wanted to make sure you didn't go home and hate your family. But evidently, after reading this, it's pretty important that 
disciples carry their cross. Like Luke says it and Matthew says it. It's pretty important, right? And so like, but the, the, that's not the only time that Jesus says that. There's another exchange like that happens and it's captured in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all, co- they all cover it. It's this, this time where, you know, where you guys remember in, in scripture where Peter is like, Jesus is like, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God, you're the Messiah, right? Like, I know who you are. And Jesus is like, yes, you're right. That's, that's how I imagine he said it. That's not really. But he says, you're right. And then right after he says that, he says, and I'm going to get killed. And now Peter's like, oh, we can't have that. You're like the king, right? Like, you can't, well, you can't die. We just, <laughs> that's not supposed to happen. And so this whole exchange happens. And at the end of this exchange, Jesus says this, Matthew 16. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Mark says it like this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Luke says, whoever wants to be my disciple must take th- deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Three times. And a lot of times, you know, like sort of like, you know, it's like we sort of put our own spin on it or our so like, like uh, this is what he said. Here's the way I would say it. Three times it's like verbatim. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Some of you are like, well, Derek, you just like read us the same thing like five times. Five times. Like you wasted my time. But here's the deal. What I want you to get from this is anything Jesus says a lot of times, anything the gospel writers take very carefully to preserve, and it's the same, it's pretty important. And there's something critical that Jesus wants us to know about being disciples. Basically, anybody who wants to be a disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Let me try to explain what that means. So we have every church you've, not every, most churches you've ever been in have one of these somewhere, right? You've got a cross somewhere for those of you behind the pillar. There's a cross over there, right? Most church you've ever been in, they, they all have uh, a cross somewhere. Have you ever understood what happened? See, this was a, a, an instrument of torture and death created by the Romans. So in the first century, the Romans put, like, were over Israel. And so as these sort of invaders and sort of like foreign uh, uh, occupying forces, one of the big things that they would do was try to like keep people from overthrowing them, right? And so the way they would do this is they would kill the insurrection painfully and make a statement by doing so. So what would happen is, is they would, somebody would take, they would take somebody's wrists and nail them to that cross beam. Just put a nail through your, through your wrist. And they'd put the feet on the, the vertical beam and drive a nail through there. And so the posture that you're in is hanging and you can't breathe. And then to catch a breath, you push up on the nail that's driven through your feet enough to get a breath, and then you sink back down. And you do this up and down and up and down, agonizing, painful, to try to stay alive until there's no, nothing left. And you suffocate to death because you can't breathe. To add insult to injury, most of the time this was done naked, so you're humiliated at the same time. And you hang there 
And it's not done like sort of like in a, a sterilized chamber. They do it by the road where everybody goes. And then after you're dead, they leave you there so that everybody who walks by says, that's what they do. I better not. They make a statement. And it's horrible. And into this comes Jesus saying, if you want to follow me, Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. That's basically Jesus saying, I'm inviting you into the revolution, the revolution where the kingdom of God comes, the revolution where God gets his way. The kingdom of God will break in. He says, I'm inviting you into that, and I'm going to die doing that. And if you want to follow me, you got to die too. You gotta die too. I mean, you've probably heard people say this phrase. Like maybe some of you use this. You ever say, "That's just my cross to bear." You ever heard people say that? You know, it usually goes something like this. Well, I have a house, but it's a thirty-minute drive to work. But that's just my cross to bear. Or you know, I've, my boss is a real jerk, and that's just my cross to bear. Or you know, uh, you know, I'm out of shape and overweight, and so I have to go to the gym seven days a week and eat salad. It's just my cross to bear. I have high blood pressure, I have to take medication. That's just my cross to bear. That's not what Jesus has in mind here. That's not at all what Jesus has in mind here. When Jesus calls his disciples to take up their crosses, he's calling them to death. Death. Literally. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, how many of you guys have heard that name? He was a pastor in uh, Germany in World War II, was part of the resistance of the Nazis. And shortly before the end of the war, he was killed by the Nazis, um, basically for being the resistance. And he wrote a book. It was called The Cost of Discipleship. Great book. I would recommend it to anyone. What, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says is when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's an uplifting message, isn't it? The offer Jesus makes to us is not like, hey, you give me your sins and then make sure you show up to church on time. It's not this one of, hey, if you come and, and have this great religious experience and, and I'll give you grace and then you can decide however much you want to engage. What he says is, come die. Come die. The offer is to lay down your life and he will give you a new one. One marked by the Holy Spirit and obedience that we would live a life that we could never have otherwise lived. Some of you guys know the name Francis Chan. You guys know that? He wrote books called Crazy Love and then The Forgotten God. And what was the other one? Erasing Hell. Um, uh, Francis planted a church in Southern California, and it grew to be this mega church and, uh, in the, in the mid-'90s, and it was called Cornerstone. And, and so it was really big. And then Francis left, and he started this thing that he's doing now, and it's uh, these sort of house church movement in San Francisco. Um, and he, I, I just read this book this week. I would recommend it. It's his newest book called Letters to the Church. Um, it will wreck your life, just warning. Um, but it's a fantastic book, and I would say it's probably the best book I've read on the topic of the church. And in the book, he tells this story of this, uh, this friend of his who went to Iraq. And he went to Iraq to visit this, uh, this church. 
and, and just see what it was all about. And uh, so he came back, and Francis asked him, he said, well, what's the biggest difference between our church and, and this church in Iraq? And, and the guy said, well, uh, in Iraq, what we call sanctification, they call prerequisite. We act like surrender to Jesus is a lifelong process where we slowly decide whether or not we will give up certain things to God. Meanwhile, the believers in Iraq teach the way Jesus taught. They're required to count the cost, surrendering everything up front. Otherwise, they can't join the church. How many of you would have joined if that was like the sign on the dotted line, you lose everything? I mean, when I gave my life to Jesus, that was sort of like, I mean, I didn't have anything to give him. I had a busted mess. Verse 28, Jesus says this, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost and see if you have enough money to complete it? If you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Sounds like that's the criteria. Sounds like Jesus isn't like, give it a little bit, you know, over a long period of time. Sounds like he says, count the cost and then go all in. That's kind of the way in. We don't do that, do we? Just a thought. We talked a couple weeks ago about how the early church cared for each other, that nobody went without need, or went with need. Nobody had need. People would sell stuff to make sure that other people didn't have need. You know how that happens? It happens because people counted the cost. They said, this is all the stuff I have, and it's worth it to surrender to Jesus. So what is it, what is it to me now? I'm dead to that. I went all in. I sell it. What's a dead guy need property for? How does that happen in our circuit? It happens as a bunch of people say, I've counted the cost and everything I think I have, I have surrendered to Jesus and I'm now dead. So you need my car? Here's your keys. You need a house? Here you go. It's the way we ought to live. I've tried to live my life in such a way that that could be said of me, that, that whenever I surrendered my life to Jesus, I handed him the whole thing. It wasn't much, but I handed him the whole thing, all the good, all the bad, and at the outset, I said, yes. Any of you thinking about getting married, at the outset, you say yes, and that decision is now made forever. That's the way marriage works just so you know. If you're thinking about getting married, at the outset you say yes, and then you never reevaluate that decision. It's what it is to follow Jesus. At the outset you say yes, and you never reevaluate the decision. Jesus is out of kind of, kind of courtesy. He goes, oh, here's this thing I'm going to take from you now. And he's just sort of like, just wanted you to see it before it was gone. You don't have a choice. The way in is, is you don't have a choice. It's not like you get to go it's not like whenever Jerry's trying to clean out my closet, and she goes, "What do you do? You still want this?" And I go, "Ah, yeah, I haven't used a CD player in years, but I gotta have that." It's not that way. 
She just goes, hey, this is the thing that's going. Don't do that. <laughs> the pain would be too great. <laughs> but that's what it is to follow Jesus. Is that you give your yes on day one after you have decided, is it worth it? For some of us, we've never done that. We've said, well, I'll pray a prayer that guarantees me certain things. But as far as surrender of everything that I am and have, Jesus, you're going to have to run each one of those items by me. And I'm going to make a decision. Oh, you want me to sell my house and move and plant a church? Ah, let me consider that one. Before we moved here to plant this church, the lady across the street, some of you heard me told, tell the story. She came up to me. She's like, oh, I see you're selling your house. What's going on? I was like, well, God told us to plant the church, and so that's what we're doing. It wasn't like we're praying about whether or not we should do that. He said do it, which meant sell your house and leave, so that's what we're doing. And she goes, oh, well, but, like, why, why you know, I mean, isn't there a way you can not do that and, like, try to, like, you know, you could, your church is good. You could just keep going to this church. And I said, if I don't follow Jesus on this, then I have to give up the charade that I'm actually following him at all. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so the way forward for us as people who follow Jesus is the way forward for Jesus, right? It's death. Like sometimes it's just death to like the things that you want to do. Maybe it's death to your career aspirations. Maybe it's actual death. Is it worth the cost to be a, car, a part of what God is doing in the world? I'll tell you a, a little bit of a, a personal story. Just, just recently, I, um, I spent most of my life as a very prideful individual. All of my life. Who am I kidding? Some years ago, I, uh, when we were living in Ohio before God called us to plant the church, um, I went on a walk with God, and he pulled, like, he pointed out this sort of, like, it was a dried-up vine that had these, like, thorns on it. And, uh, and he said, pick that up. So I picked it up, and I'm like, what the heck am I going to do with this thing? Like, it's like, you know, it's like dry and like it might fall apart in my hands so I'm like walking with it and I'm like sort of like he said this is your pride this is your pride okay whatever like I don't know what <laughs> I'm not I'm not art I, I'm not like art inspired like I don't get the like things that God does a lot of times the metaphor so I get home and I'm looking at this thing and I'm like oh, what, what are you even talking about like what's this and he said there were thorns on my head It was you. I bore your pride. Why do you keep carrying it? Of course, I'm undone. I'm sitting on the couch bawling and like, oh, that was such great. Jesus is amazing. I don't want to be prideful anymore. We moved here uh, to plant the church. And, of course, I was like, oh, we're going to reach everybody for Jesus. That's, you know, we every, if you're like me, everything you do, you can make it sound noble in your head, right? I have the most noble intentions always, if you ask me. <laughs> so, so we moved here from Columbus, and 
we come, and I'm like, and I'm just getting beat up. I figured I was coming from Columbus to plant this amazing church, which, let me finish before you decide that I'm not saying this is amazing, because I didn't get it. But this amazing church where tons of people come to know Jesus, and everybody goes, you're such a great teacher, and this is amazing. And the pain of not that not being real for the first year we were here was almost unbearable. Almost unbearable. And at one point, I was probably 12 months into this, Roger said to me on the phone, he said, why are you trying to plant Vineyard Columbus here? I was like, I'm not. Oh, I am. I'm making this about me. Turn to Jesus again, repent. Like, I, this can never be about me. This has always only ever been about you. And I thought, cool, we're done with this now. So Friday. <laughs> and I realized that I can fool myself into thinking because I say the right things about what I'm doing, I can fool myself into believing that's actually my motivation. That I'm actually motivated by humility. As long as I say it right. As long as I say, yeah, I'll be forgotten and everybody else, like the, the gospel goes forward, Jesus is remembered, I'm forgotten, how beautiful. I don't believe that at all. It's true, but I don't believe it. Jesus was like, hey, see this? I'm going to put this mirror in front of you. See what I see? Yeah, we've dealt with some pride, but we've got a ways to go. And so I just say that to say the way forward is death. And so what do I do as I go forward? As Jesus goes, hey, here's this thing. Kill it. Kill it. It hurts. It continues to hurt. What is it in you? What is it in you that stands between you living the life Jesus calls you to live and where you are now? What's not dead? What of your life have you not nailed to the cross? I think it's worth considering. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take probably five minutes. Brittany's going to help me. But I've got cards. This is where communion's going to fit. But Brittany's going to hand out these cards, and there's pens in each of these canisters. I want you all to take a pen. Maybe you can help me with that, too. Everybody get a card. Everybody get a pen. It feels like school, I know, but I promise this will be good. what I want to do, once you all have a card and a pen, is I want you to just sit quietly before the Lord. I'm just going to invite God's presence. Sit quietly before the Lord and say, God, what's between you and me? What parts of my life are not dead? And what I want you to do, don't put your name on it. 
But what I want you to do is, as he speaks stuff, and don't hurry, don't hurry. As he says, here's the thing, it's your career, it's your addiction to this or that, it's your need to be liked, it's your pride. Whatever it is he says, I want you to write it on that card. And then I'll tell you what's going to happen after that. Okay? So we're going to take just a few minutes. Just be quiet. Like, don't rush. But allow God to speak to you. And as he shows you stuff, it's maybe it'll come as a picture. It'll just be really obvious to you. Write it down. Holy Spirit, would you just come? Show us, Lord.